Hi, I'm Mark Haywood and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. Today marks the 60th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. According to the official report, at 12.30pm on November the 22nd, 1963, Lee Harvey Oswald fired three shots at the much-loved US president as he rode in a presidential motorcade through Dallas. By now, you probably know the details. You probably also know the conspiracy theories, or at least one or two of them, involving agencies from the CIA to the KGB and even the Mafia. If you're interested to learn more about conspiracies and why they spread so easily, check out Series 2, Episode 5, our interview with Professor Richard Evans, author of The Hitler Conspiracies. Today's episode isn't about yet another wild conspiracy theory, but it does call into question the truth we've been led to believe. The Warren Report, the politically accepted official investigation into JFK's assassination, makes it clear Oswald was a lone gunman and he fired the fatal shot. But did he really? Mark Taylor has a different tale of events. I should say we haven't just invited any old tin foil hat wearing bloke onto the show. Mark is an imagery analyst. He holds a degree in psychology and has been an avid target shooter since the age of 11. This unique set of skills has enabled him to meticulously analyse the evidence around the JFK assassination in a level-headed and expert way. Whether or not he's right, well... I'll leave that up to you to decide. In this conversation, we get through a lot, but there's still so much we didn't get a chance to discuss. Like the fact that this wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald's first assassination attempt. He had tried to shoot former US Army General Edwin Walker earlier that same year, a fact that becomes extremely relevant when taking into account Mark's analysis. But that's enough from me. Let's hear from Mark and find out what he believes happened on that fateful day. A word of caution. We are discussing an assassination and we will be showing video footage captured on the day of the shooting. As such, the content of this production may be emotionally challenging. If this is not for you, please do skip this episode and join us in the new year for Series 9. Otherwise, please take care when watching or listening. Mark, this episode airs on the 60th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And it's astonishing to me that still to this day, the conspiracy and controversy around this event knows no (laughs) boundaries. I mean, that would be enough for you to want to investigate, but that's always been there. What was it that prompted you to want to dig into this? I think curiosity. I've always been very curious. A lot of people have always been curious as to see what actually happened, to find the truth, to find that little bit of nugget that will finally solve the mystery. I mean, I know I was certainly fascinated from it from from the first time I heard about it as a little child. I mean, I remember watching the TV series with Martin Sheen playing JFK and just going, wow, when, when the whole thing happened. And then my, my mother explained to me all the controversies about, you know, the, the magic bullet and all this, and I'm just going... How can this, you know, how can this be, you know, and, uh, and it's, yeah, it's always held that fascination to me to try and figure, you know, to wanting to know what actually happened. 
and throughout the years watched loads of documentaries on it whenever anything on TV came about. Then obviously the JFK film, 92, you know, Oliver Stone, or 91, I think it was, wasn't it? Then I think reignited that that whole thing again for everybody. And then COVID hit. I was stuck at home doing nothing. YouTube, for some reason, recommended this video on uh, on JFK. And I went, hold on. Now that I'm of a certain age, certain experience, certain sort of skill sets, uh, I thought maybe I should have a look at it and see see what can be proven or maybe can't be proven to try and at least eliminate some of those more ridiculous conspiracy theories. And yeah, I was shocked that you can actually basically see what actually happened. I've had an extensive dive <laughs> into YouTube on this particular yeah. topic. There is no shortage of A, footage of upscaling, mm. of slowing down, of something particularly famous called the Zapruder film, which mm. is a very short piece of footage that shows mm. the turn of Kennedy's car mm. onto Elm Street and then the assassination. And we should point out, we should be responsible that if mm. people do go and look for this, they will actually see yeah. President Kennedy be assassinated. So you should please watch responsibly. But this is a very, this is an iconic piece of mm. film, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, um, not that I want to be picky. You don't see the turn because he, he stopped recording. When you see the Sapruda film, you see the motorbikes appear first. Then he didn't see the vehicle. He didn't know how much film he had left in the camera, so he stopped recording until he actually physically saw the president having already made the turn and then started recording from that point onwards. And uh, I mean, it's iconic and it's shocking and it's everything that it's been attributed to it. Um, it's amazing that even to this day, he gets used both as proof for a theory mm. or as saying that it's been doctored to basically eliminate it as sort of evidence that it's not some other theory. So let's talk about evidence, whether mm. that be real, imagined <laughs> or, or, or otherwise. Mm. The official inquiry, mm. if you like, into the assassination produced the Warren report, which proved as insofar as you can prove mm. anything categorically mm. that Lee Harvey Oswald was the assassin, that he fired three bullets from the Texas School Book Depository from the sixth floor, mm. one of which missed, two of which hit. Mm. And that was accepted as gospel by some, <laughs> but not by others. Yeah. Um, what your presentation seems to scratch away at is the fact that there is evidence to suggest that one or two of those bullets did come from Oswald's mm. gun, but that the third didn't. Yeah. And you introduced this notion of a of a second shooter. Mm. And I should point out that this conversation is really all about the mechanics of what happened mm. on this day, not necessarily who mm. was behind it. So let's just yeah. talk about what, what we're dealing with. The mm. Zapruder film is is how long? What, what are we looking at in terms of length? In terms of the actual bit from when you first see Kennedy to to the headshot, it's roughly ten seconds. Right. Uh, so that's basically the 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 length of time of the physical assassination as such. So we have three shots yeah. in, in ten seconds. Now, in your professional expertise, is that possible? So let's take the Warren report as gospel. Hmm. Could Oswald? have fired, reloaded, fired, reloaded, and fired three times in that time period. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, right. the, the the question is not whether you can fire three shots within 10 seconds. That's, you know, very feasible. It's, it's more a question of 
how those shots were spaced. That's where it would become more of a problem to try and justify whether Oswald was the shooter or not. His rifle being a, a bolt-action rifle takes a bit of time to manually basically reload, even though the FBI, I think when they, it's in the, in the Warren report, said when they did their tests, it was feasible to fire, reload and fire in, I think it's 2.3 seconds. So technically, you know, you're only reloading twice because you've already got the first bullet in there. So basically from the moment you fire, you reload, fire, 2.4 seconds, reload, fire, another 2.3 seconds. Um, so you're talking, yeah, 4.6 seconds in total, technically speaking. Right. Uh, um, was Oswald a skilled practice rifleman? <laughs> He'd been in the Marines. He'd had achieved the sharpshooter qualification. There is a bit of, I think, misunderstanding when you when when you attribute a sharpshooter qualification within the military. Like, for example, myself, I've been awarded the the marksman qualification, which is the top grade. Whenever you do your, your annual shooting test, does that mean that I would be able to grab a you know shoot mm. a moving target? No, because the 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 test that they do to give them that qualification is quite basic. I mean, if I memory serves right. All he had to do was literally lie down in the prone position with a semi-automatic rifle as such. It wasn't even a, a bolt-action one, it was a semi-automatic. And fire at a static target in two minutes or whatever. I can't remember if it was 10 or 20 shots that they fired. And then they basically give him a score, which most people do actually misquote when they sort of say, oh, you, you know, you got 50 hits. Or he goes, no, no, that's the score. It's not the number of hits. It's like it's 10 hits, five points per hit, 50. You know, that's that's kind of the the level of misunderstanding on that aspect um, I mean there's been a lot of talk about how skilled a shooter he was from things I've seen yes he knew how to handle a gun because he'd been in, in the marines he'd been trained how to use a gun whether he was a an absolute sniper crack shot I don't believe he was yeah. well let me challenge you on that because the first bullet hmm. from wherever it came hmm. but let's assume it came from Oswald's gun doesn't appear to hit no. anything. But the second bullet, the magic bullet, <laughs> as you called it earlier on, appears to travel. And again, I would ask viewers to please watch this footage responsibly. Mm. It does pass through the president's throat, yeah. neck, and appears to hit someone else in front of him mm -hmm. at the same time, which mm. from that distance on the sixth floor of the Texas mm. School Book Depository, mm. at a moving target, from a rifle that, as I understand it, was not correctly zeroed. zeroed. Yeah. That is a shot in a million, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, you can't deny it. I mean, like, it get, like, I mean, we've had this discussion about the shot itself, how freaky it was in many ways. It even gets freaky when you see when it hits Kennedy in the back. It, actually, it doesn't actually hit any muscles. It goes in between two muscles and just causes bruising misses the top of the lung again causes bruising just from the expansion of the of the bullet hitting you basically get cavitation and all sorts of other things but yeah it just causes bruising and then it comes out just round about there by the knot of its tie and you think wow that's freaky the doctors when they did the autopsy were struggling to find the path because well, it doesn't seem to be any damage just see a bit of bruising and then when you see that yeah it goes through there hits Connolly, takes out a chunk of his ribs just under under his right armpit comes out below his nipple <laughs> shatters his wrist and ends up in his leg you think yeah wow that's a but again you look at the bullet itself and it's a 
very chunky bullet. It's a solid bullet with a thick copper jacket and a solid lead core in it. And it's designed to penetrate. That That is the, the design of that bullet and what it's meant to do. So it's not surprising that it caused that damage. Um, surprising that he managed to pull off the shot. Shots like that happen many in your times every year. They do. We'll come on to that yeah. because the, I, I was surprised to watch in your presentation mm. just how normal these shots to a million <laughs> actually are. If you look yeah. at, you know, gunshot wounds and indeed fatalities um, from around the world. But let's just give people a perspective. Kennedy is elevated. His seat mm. is raised. He wanted to be seen mm. by the crowd in Dallas that day. He's very obviously in the back seat with his wife. And Connolly is in a jump seat. Connolly is a considerably taller man than JFK, mm. and he is sat pretty much on the floor. So the mm. angle mm. of any bullet is always going to be down if it's come from, from Oswald. Mm. Is it possible that that one bullet did all of those things? Yeah, I mean, um, one of the things that really annoyed me when I first heard about the Kennedy thing, and then someone explained the, the magic bullet th you know, theory to me that, yeah, the, the bullet hit the back, came out through the throat, and swung to the right. Not only did it swing to the right, it took a breather for like about half a second because obviously right. it's quite a traumatic. Right. Then took a left, hit Connolly, went, you know, did all this. And you see the sort of pictures that get put in the in the newspapers at the time to sort of show this silly trajectory to say, who the hell's going to believe this? And you think, well, yeah, anyone with two brain cells will look at that and go, a bullet doesn't do that. Right. Um, yes, you can do, you can get some very weird deflections that happen but they don't sort of start doing zigzagging in midair or pausing in midair as well but then the whole thing with that is that they're not representing the situation correctly mm. you're not putting the people in the right position that they were in although they were at at the time of the shot you know, everyone says oh Connolly was in front technically speaking yes Connolly was in front of Kennedy but he wasn't square on in front of Kennedy he was slightly to Kennedy's left like you pointed out, he's not at the same height. He, like, the jump seat is almost at the floor of the of the vehicle. Therefore, they're not level. You'll see videos on YouTube mm. with a very specifically with a certain person that I won't mention because I don't want to get sued, who's a, a conspiracy advocate who supposedly super expert, you know, pathologist. He's you know, and um, he will always show you know demonstrate how stupid this shot is by getting two people from the audience, sit them in two chairs, one in front of the other, and basically do the zigzag with his finger. And of course you go, well, yeah, that's stupid. But then people like him, who has done thousands of autopsies, should know better than misrepresent the situation. Mm. And when you actually put the people in the right place, in the right position, at the right differential heights from each other, you get a sense of it, basically an actual trajectory of what happened. And you, again, you can see it in the in the Zapruder film, like you've seen, they both react at exactly the same point when they both get shot, mm. uh, which says, well, they've both been hit by the same bullet. The only way that's possible is that that way. Right. Um, so we go back to this because I, I will come on to the the, the fatal shot mm. in a moment. But we're talking about ten seconds in which there were three gunshots, um, one of which doesn't appear to go anywhere, as we mm. know, but it was heard mm. or observed or sensed or whatever mm. whatever it was by witnesses and people mm. that, that said they react. In very quick succession after that, there is a second shot which does hit two people. This is the, the magic bullet. Mm. In this sort of scenario, my understanding is that the protocol would be for that 
motorcade to get out of Dodge as quickly yeah. As, yeah. as possible. And yeah. I don't want to point any finger of blame at anybody because we're all human beings and we mm. don't know how we're going to react. Yeah. But according to your analysis, it looks like Agent Greer, who is driving the president's car, slams on the brakes at the point of the second bullet. Is that right? And, yeah. and if so, what what would that what reaction would that have had on the rest of the motorcade? Many witnesses reported. I said that the vehicles either stopped or almost completely came to a stop. To this day, the Secret Service claim that they never stopped. That they literally, if you read the statements that the Secret Service agents made at the time, they say, "Yeah, after the second shot." Agent Greer slammed on the, the 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 accelerator and they were shooting. You know, they were flying off, which is blatantly not true. I mean, you can see in the footage that after the second shot, you can see Connolly writhing around. Probably there's no sound on the footage, but you can imagine that he's probably yelling his head off because he's been he's shot. shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which causes the driver and and the the Secret Service agent on the front seat to both turn around. You see them both turn around to go, "What the hell's going on?" Obviously, I see, oh my God, something's happened. For whatever reason, Agent Greer pressed the brake. You see them, the reaction in the in the vehicle of all of them sort of have that jerk motion for when uh, when you accidentally slam, well, accidentally when you slam on the brakes mm. quite forcefully. Um, so before we get to the car behind, yeah. why doesn't the president lurch forward? What is it about, what's it, what is it about his posture that makes him not lurch forward? He physically can't. Right. Um, again, things that don't get, mentioned by conspiracy theorists or, or the like is that now well we now know that kennedy was actually quite ill was quite infirm he had a very bad back he actually nearly died from an operation that he had on his back and he was at the time was wearing a back brace that had a metal plate that ran up his, uh, halfway up his back he was also wearing six inch wide elastic strapping that went around his chest down one leg back up and down the other so it was, he was literally almost just stuck in there and at the time the vehicle stop, everyone reacts, but he, you know, he can't physically get out of the way in any way, shape right. or form. Also, you can see in the footage that he's like leaning on the side of the vehicle, so he can't swing out that way. Mm. And the only option he's got is to try and lean to the left, which is what he does. And then the fatal shot happens. So yeah, there's, there was just no way for him to be able to either lean forward or react to, to what was going on. So Greer hits the brakes. Mm. Everyone other than Kennedy who lurches left lurches forward, as you would do. It's gravity. Yeah. In the car behind, there are a number of other Secret mm. Service agents, some of whom are armed. Maybe, mm. maybe they're all armed. I don't mm. know. But there are two guys, at least two guys, mm. sort of stood on the car behind waiting to jump mm. off. We've all seen this in movies a, yeah. a, a, a thousand times. One of whom is Agent Hill, mm. who in all of the testimony that you've looked at mm. and all of the interviews that I've seen, which isn't as much as you, mm. says that the first thing that happens is that he sprints towards Kennedy's car when he senses that there's been a shot that has yeah. hit yeah. the president. You have a different view as to what happened. What's that? Yeah, I mean, it's what you would expect to happen when when a vehicle in front slams on the brake. You've got a vehicle following behind very closely, has to react to that unexpected braking. They have to slam on the brakes even harder. Simple physics, momentum, Newton's law of motion, if a vehicle's traveling, let's say 10 or 15 miles an hour, suddenly stops and you're standing there with nothing to stop you, you carry on traveling at 10, 15 miles an hour, which is you know why we wear seatbelts, because the, the inertia just takes you forward. 
hill is standing on a very narrow platform, so to speak. His feet are like right behind the other. He's got his hand pretty much there on a on a hand loop that's by the windscreen. It happens so quickly, he doesn't have any time to actually physically stop himself from carrying on going forward. And just the simple momentum of that motion causes him to go forward. Uh, Even a car that's only going 10 to 15 miles an yeah. hour. How fast do skateboards go? Mm. What happens when a skateboarder hits a rut? I mean, you've all, I'm sure we've all seen those videos on, on YouTube right. where you get a skateboarder going, yeah, hits a rut, skateboard stops, yeah. skateboarder goes flying and you know leaves its teeth on the pavement or something. Right. So there is this third and mm. fatal mm. shot that kills the president. We'll come back to where that shot may have come from mm. in a moment. But let's talk about the difference in the autopsy report mm. and the official committee that, as, as I understand it, was was brought about to investigate what the Warren report had, mm. uh, had published. This is the House Absolutely. Senate Committee on Assassinations, yeah. the same committee that had investigated Martin Luther King's mm. assassination. They have very very different views on the trajectory of that third bullet, don't they? Yeah. Again, prior to looking into it, I wasn't even aware that, that, that there had been a, a second investigation into it. And uh, I'm just absolutely baffled by what, by what they came out with. There was an outcry from the Warren Report because people did not believe the Warren Report and there was a lot of criticism of it, some of it rightly, some of it wrongly. And this was set up to investigate it and they come up there after their investigation that actually the Warren report was right. And that's their conclusion. However, they somehow put little twists to, to the specifics. They said, yeah, the, the Warren report was right, that uh, Oswald was the sole assassin, that he was the one that fired the three shots that actually killed Kennedy. But they believed there was a conspiracy. But however, it wasn't by anyone that you would expect it to be. Like it wasn't the Russians, it wasn't the Cubans, it wasn't the CIA, it wasn't the mafia. It wasn't any of those organizations but it could have been somebody from those organizations but not acting for those organizations right which... so we're, we're using massive subterfuge yeah. here to, to, to disguise it but but there are differences in their assessment of the trajectory of the yeah. bullet which they estimate as being down yeah and the autopsy relatively relatively straight on yeah i mean um the autopsy report showed that the headshot entered at the back, just slightly to the left of the external occipital protuberance, basically the lump at the back of your head, right. lower back of your head. And obviously, because the House Select Committee had uh, concluded that it was Oswald, they went, well, if the bullet entered here and it came out, it, well, they estimated the exit wound was roughly around about there, then that's the trajectory that the autopsy report was saying, well, obviously that wouldn't line up with the sixth floor. So they decided to move the, the entry wound to kind of up there to the top of their head without physically looking at the skull, uh, which baffles me again. Um, because that serves the Oswald narrative. Yeah, because it serves, the, it serves right. the Oswald narrative and serves the conclusion that they said that, yes, it was Oswald that acted, that was the, the actual killer. So there's a discrepancy in what the trajectory may or may not have been. There's also... A discrepancy in your view as to the bullet fragments that mm. were found as i understand it we don't know where the first bullet went no. but given that it didn't hit the president mm. let's leave that to one side yeah. the second bullet the magic bullet did so presumably there must be fragments from that and the fatal bullet there must be fragments from that have you compared those two sets of fragments yeah i mean there have been fragments of bullets or even like the magic bullet the bullets pretty much whole that was discovered on the stretcher 
at, a, at the Parkland Hospital. Again, people misrepresent what happened to the work. Oh, it's intact. Again, if you photograph it from a certain angle, it looks intact. When you photograph it from another, from another angle, you actually see, you know, it's kind of squashed, dented, and mm. but it's not severely mangled like you would expect. Again, this is a very solid bullet. And again, the way it impacted without getting into very technical stuff, but after it hits Kennedy, the entry and exit wounds are basically two round little holes like you would expect mm. from a bullet. After it comes out of Kennedy, the bullet starts to tumble. When it hits Connolly, it's not the end of the bullet that hits it, which would then would have caused it to squash. It hits it side on as a tumbling bullet. The entry wound shows a tumbling bullet. His clothes rip in the fashion of a tumbling bullet. His exit wounds display the, the, the signs of a tumbling bullet, same when it hits his, his wrist and eventually ends up in his leg. So when you have that, you don't expect a bullet to be squashed from the front which a lot of people say, oh, it should be squashed. Well, no, because that's not the way the bullet went. If you shoot a bullet straight at the wall, yes, it will squash because front, the front end has hit the wall and you've got all the, all the momentum from behind it causing it to squash. So that's why that bullet isn't in this shape or misshape that people expect it to be. Right. Um, there were other fragments recovered of two bits of a bullet, which we don't know. It's assumed that it's from the first bullet that those 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 fragments came from. It would fit that in the sense that you see the copper jacket that's quite mangled and the back end of the bullet. There's no uh, lead core in there. From other bits of evidence, there was a guy under the triple underpass that got hit by debris or shrapnel or whatever. And there was an impact on the on the pavement in front of him. And when they analyzed the pavement, they just found remains of a lead. They didn't find any copper remains, which would again fit in that this bullet, let's assume it's the first one, for example, whatever it hit caused it to shatter. Mm. The lead core off it went in one direction. These, the copper jacket went in, in other directions and the lead core then hit this gentleman under the, the underpass. And the jacket bits have been recovered that they were found technically in the, in, in the vehicle itself. Again, looking at it, if those had been fragments from the head wound, you wouldn't have expected them to be that clean, so to speak, because they're, they're very jagged. You would expect it to be contain lots of brain matter and all sorts of things. And there was basically nothing found on them. Uh, I think they found a little speck of blood on one of them. And there was so, so little blood, they couldn't even test whose blood it was. Right. Uh, but then you see another fragment that does get found that this part of the evidence in the Warren Commission and it matches the kind of the description from the autopsy when they examined it, Kennedy's brain that uh, you know they found dust like metal particles like through the what was left inside his brain which correspond with a, a fragmentation round and in the evidence in the Warren report there is one of those dust like um, fragments and you can see very clearly that a Yes, it is a copper jacket, but it's a very shiny yellow kind of copper, and it's very thin, unlike the copper jacket of the Os of the Carcano rifle, which has got quite a thick and a sort of dull, almost like pale brown kind of look to it. So yeah, there's no way that second tiny fragment could have come from that kind of bullet. So the fatal bullet, the headshot mm. bullet, is there any way that could have come from the Carcano no. rifle owned by Lee Harvey Oswald? No. No, I said the, the, the fragmentation practice is just completely wrong. 
the Carcano bullet does not really fragment into lots of tiny little pieces. It's not designed to do that. Yes, it will break into several large chunks like they found, unless you literally, I mean, if you shot it at a 10 inch steel plate, then yes, it might shatter like that, but that's not, a, that's not how you'd expect it to react when it hits a skull or bone. Yes, it would, it would get, you would expect it to get deformed, might break into, I mean, when the, the FBI did their tests, they fired the Carcano bullet at skulls, as you would expect them to see if it was possible for it, for it to cause the damage that it caused. And they were, you know, you, you sort of see the report, I can't remember the exact number of skulls that they shot, but it was quite extraordinary. And um, they basically were quite happy that in one of the serials that they were shooting, they managed to break the bullet in two, like just two fragments. You think, well, great, but that's not what the observed, you know, the, the doctors observed when they conducted the autopsy. There was basically dust-like fragments and lots and lots of them. They estimated 30 to 40, if not more. Again, when you see the footage, you see a lot of the brain matter flies off. You would expect all the, you know, that mm. to contain even more fragments from the bullet that's fragmented. Let's, let's keep moving forward and then, because I think what we're concluding is that the, the evidence of a second mm. shooter then, if it didn't come from Oswald's rifle, it clearly came from somewhere mm. else. Let's park that. Uh, let's deal with what's happening at the hospital. The mm. president has been assassinated. Lyndon Johnson has now mm. become, you know, in a state of emergency, the president. Mm. Strange things then happen in a very quick, but uh, some of them are understandable. Some mm. of them are not really explainable. Mm. He's not leaving without Jackie Kennedy, and mm. Jackie's not leaving without the body of her of her husband. Mm. So things are... Fast-tracked, shall we say. Rushed, maybe a more mm. appropriate term, but they're fast-tracked. What I was staggered by was that the amount of evidence, mm. files, physical matter mm. that gets lost is staggering. Mm. The FBI submit all of their evidence. The CIA submit mm. all of their evidence. The Secret Service have to this day submitted nothing. Well... They have submitted. I mean, the, the, you kind of like have to sort of spread it out in a, in a se se separate segments, so to speak. Yes, at the time at the hospital, like you rightly said, you know, things were quite tense. I don't know at the time. I later find out that apparently Lyndon Johnson had a heart attack whilst they were at the hospital. So you think, well, my God, we're going to lose two presidents <laughs> in, in, right. in, in one day. They didn't know at the time if there was an actual conspiracy, if there was going to be more, more attempts. Of course. Uh, so, you know... You would expect them to be quite tense. But yeah, in a normal police investigation, if something happened, you'd expect to collect like the clothing that the people were wearing, try and collect, gather as much evidence to keep it to then be able to analyse it, to then try and create a picture of what happened. Obviously, none of the clothing of the Secret Service men was collected because you're not going to take the, you know, their clothes off when they're trying to do their job, for a start. The same with the vehicles. You know, the vehicles got taken away uh, and sent back to, to the White House. But then... You get to the autopsy, which then gets conducted in, in Washington. Yes, there's a lot of stuff that gets collected. There's a lot of stuff that gets catalogued, that gets photographed, recorded on film, notes taken. There was FBI agents there. There was more people there than should have been there. I mean, it wasn't conducted properly as such. But yes, that, that material was then collected by the Secret Service and disappears. No one knows exactly what happens to that same thing happens with the brain there's there's a lot of 
debate as to what actually happened with it, who asked for what. One of the things is apparently that Robert Kennedy asked the Secret Service if they could go and collect the brain because he wanted to keep it, which I find a bit macabre that you would ask for the brain of your brother. But then somehow it gets delivered where it was going to be sent to the National Archives. And you're like, well, hold on, did, did he ask it for him? Why, why, what right. is it, you know, and, uh, and then supposedly it never got to the National Archives. So right. you never know what happened. They said, oh, well, it was delivered. Uh, you know, it was placed in a container. It was preserved and all the rest. Delivered to the White House. Signed on the dockets that, yeah, this is, all this stuff is going to the National Archives, but the box with the brain isn't there. And then later on in the 90s, when uh, the Assassination Records Review Committee or board gets set up after the Oliver Stone film, uh, which instigated it in a way, basically a law gets passed that uh, all the agencies that had any involvement, not involvement in the assassin, but basically had any anything, mm. any investigation of any sort or any documentation or whatever they might still contain, had to hand all those documents to the National Archives, which the FBI, the CIA did, and it's still those documents that everyone keeps going on about being redacted, that haven't been released and all the rest. But yeah, the this, this Secret Service, literally just before the, the, the law comes into effect, destroys all their documentation mm. that they can, they have on the assassination. And you think, well, that doesn't seem kind of quite right, does it? No, very far from it. <laughs> very, very far from it. Yeah. I, I, should, I, I do understand the point about we're in a state of emergency. Mm. We don't know yeah. what is going on. So I understand the need for extreme high alert mm. state. Um, absolutely. Mm. But one of the things that there's a, there's a series of patterns here in how long things take to come to light mm. or get destroyed or whatever it might be. There's a Pruder film that you've mentioned. Mm. This assassination was in 1963. There's a Pruder film doesn't surface for over 10 years later mm. and was a source of massive controversy yeah. when it did come out, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, again, you, you look at the time when it happened. So Pruder sort of got the film had it developed, made three copies. Time magazine actually bought the rights of the film off him, which is why it wasn't really released, because Time magazine actually held the rights to, to the film. He obviously, you know, gave copies for, for the Warren Commission for, mm. for the investigation uh, and all the rest, which were held. But yeah, it comes more from the fact that he actually sold the rights to the film to, to Time magazine that it doesn't get released. And at the time when it did eventually get shown on TV, I've forgotten the name of the guy. It's really bugging me now. <laughs> the name of the guy that uh, basically showed it on his TV program. He said, you know, the public need to see this. He showed it on, even though he was threatened with prison and all sorts of things. And you can imagine the public reaction when they sort of see it. It's 60 years later, it's still, it's still shocking. shocking. Yeah. It's still shocking. I mean, I've gotten to that point. I, I, I can't really watch it anymore. It, it just affects me that much. I mean, it's it's gotten to the point where it sounds ridiculous to say it. But you almost, I start watching it and I think, well, maybe this time he won't get shot. Mm. Um, and you think, yeah, yeah, maybe, you know, and you think, how, how, how stupid can I be to think that anything's going to change because you know it's not going to change. Um, Let's talk about what might have happened then. Mm. In your research, in the car behind the president's mm. uh, is a man, Agent Hickey, mm -hmm. who died a number of years ago. Never really spoke publicly um, about this, but he is armed with an AR-15 rifle, which gets retired fairly soon after the assassination. But just talk to us about when you slow the footage down, there is a sense that that shot came 
from that AR-15 mm. rifle. Just talk us through that. I mean, there, there's a number of aspects to it. First, it's, again, putting people in the position they were in. As we mentioned earlier, you know, Kennedy couldn't fall forward because he had his back brace, he couldn't bend forward, he couldn't fall to his right because he was right up against the side of the car. He started leaning to his left. That puts you towards the sort of center line of the car or even past it. When you see at the time of the headshot, he is leaning quite substantially to, the, to his left side, which again, going back to the trajectory thing and the House Select Committees of moving the location of the shot, mm. if, I was, if I'm sitting vertically, and that's the original trajectory from back here to here from the um, autopsy report, and you move the trajectory up to the top end of my head there, then you're, you're causing an elevation in trajectory. If I lean to my side and you do the same thing, you get an elevation, but also a translation to the side. So, which actually moves the shot away from the from the, the school book depository. So the back brace, the implication that has on mm. the laws of physics when Greer slams mm. on the brakes, mm. could have potentially actually put JFK in the line of fire from a shot that comes from behind him. Not not necessarily. I mean, it's more him naturally trying to get out of the way of thinking, oh my gosh, I've been shot. How the hell do I get out? And he just naturally leans to the side, as you would expect someone to do. Greer braking, I mean, you can debate whether him braking, causing the car behind to brake, caused uh, Agent Hickey to tense up or whatever, uh, which accidentally caused him to pull the trigger on the weapon. Uh, that's difficult to say. Mm. It's just one of those things, again, where you see where Hickey is in the vehicle and the position that he takes. He's got the rifle to his right and he turns and he's holding it like that up on the on the back of the of the vehicle puts him in it puts the the rifle naturally towards the center line of his vehicle in, in the center line basically lines him up with the vehicle in front not on purpose he does you know you, you can see have you seen in in the footage that that's in the presentation that you saw um he's not even looking at the president kennedy when that shot goes off right and it's just one of those bad luck moments that his natural position of holding the rifle and turning to his right, Kennedy trying to get out of the way, leaning to his left, lines the two people up, you know, the rifle and Kennedy perfectly. And there were there were either safety or, or mechanical concerns about the AR-15? Yeah, uh, it was the, the first iteration of the AR-15, which ironically um, Kennedy had signed into use earlier that year. And uh, there was a design flaw that was discovered in the, in the rifle that... Um, the um, firing mechanism was too heavy for, for the retaining sear. So there were times when if you when you cocked and loaded it, as the mechanism went forward, it would slam fire. So it would just fire off without pressing the trigger. Whether that happened in this situation or not, difficult to tell. Certainly not from the evidence that I've been able to see because you can't physically see his hand on the trigger right. at the time that the shot goes off. There is one thing we can see, though, which mm -hmm. is from the bell footage mm. as the car comes through the underpass. Mm. So the Zapruder film has long since run out by mm. now. The motorcade comes through the underpass and you can quite clearly see there's a wonderful image of the Texas School Book Depository in the background. There's also a shot on the other side of the underpass mm. in which you can see the second car, the mm. one that Hill had been in, the one that Hickey mm. is in. You can quite clearly see Hickey and to me, mm. 
and this needs to be upscaled, of course. And, and you know, there are, you, you can make this up all, all day long if you wanted to. But it seems to me that everyone else in that car is all turned looking at Agent Hickey. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's a question of piecing the pieces together from the various bits of evidence, various different bits of footage that, we, that are available, which again, until I started looking at it, I didn't realize how much there is actually available. I always thought it's just a Zapruder film. That was the only bit of mm. film. Because again, remember in those days, it wasn't common to have recording means no, out, of the, out of the public. You know. right. But yeah, you got the Zapruder film, which is the main one that captures pretty much the whole thing in its entirety. It just misses the first shot. You see the reaction to the first shot. But then you see that you know the, the Hughes film, there's the much more film, which captures the headshot from different angles, which again corroborates the evidence from the Zapruder film. They're all showing exactly the same thing. There's no way all 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 those different bits of footage are faked in any way, sh- shape, or form. You then get the Bell film, which ca- which gets the bit after the shot as they're like you say moving away, and you can see clearly on there a that Hickey is holding the rifle, mm-hmm. which he claims he wasn't holding the rifle at the time. In his statement, he said he only picked up the rifle after the triple underpass, or as they were in the triple underpass. You can clearly see that he is holding the rifle. Secondly, he's turned the rifle round to the side even more, and people say, oh, he's picking it up. Well, he could have been, except that he's actually putting it down. And you can clearly see that he drops it down, they go through the underpass, and then a photograph is taken from the other side of the underpass by someone, I can't remember who, who it was that actually took the picture. But yeah, you can see the two vehicles and he, at that point he's picked it up again and it's pointing straight up. And you can see the remaining en- agents that are on the running boards on the outside literally turned looking at Hickey. Mm. And again, you can get accused of adding interpretation to a photograph, but it doesn't look like it's in a happy posture. It's quite an aggressive sort of Right. position that they're in to, towards him. Well, well, we'll come back to those Secret Service agents in, mm. in a moment, but let's try and just recap some things. Um, you're fine with the fact that the first two shots came from mm. Oswald's rifle from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository. Yeah. One hit something, the pavement, whatever, God knows. The yeah. second was the magic bullet, mm. which hit two people quite cleanly, but mm. didn't cause. And, and and Connolly survives his wounds. Survives, uh, yeah. Uh, right. Quite mangled, but yeah, he <laughs> survives, yeah. There is a third bullet, the fatal bullet, mm. that doesn't come from Oswald's rifle, mm. but could have come from Hickey's yeah. rifle. And we're not in any way suggesting that that was anything other than a tragic accident. But we said earlier... Mm. That does happen a lot. Yeah, it does happen a lot. I mean, in the presentation that that I made that you've seen, I mentioned just two that happened fairly close to the time when I was doing the presentation. One was the Alec Baldwin accident, and the other one was a, a British doctor that was shot in the head in his bed when he went to visit his, his girlfriend. And when you see the trajectory that that bullet took, you think, you know, literally got fired from the other side of a wooded area, went through a wall, went through the headboard, and then hit him in the head and just killed him out straight. Right. But yeah, I mean, things, there used to be videos on on YouTube where you could see gun mishaps left, right, and center. I mm. think they've they kind of started to censor those a lot more. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and rightly so. But yeah, you do see that happening time and time again. And um, 
when I when I first started looking at it, you know, as I was putting the evidence that I was looking at together, uh, you know, people were always commenting and saying, oh, well, you know, this shows this or this shows that. And, and almost expecting me to just take their word for it. Said, oh, this yeah. film shows this. I go, yeah. All right, well, let me have a look at it. And goes, actually, no, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of those, I, someone sent me um, an interview that Agent Hill and uh, another agent had uh, given on TV where they address the, the Hickey uh, theory that had come, you know, came out in the 70s, I think, or early 80s. And uh, they were addressing it. And uh, this agent is going, oh, yeah, well, uh, I got shown this bit of footage that clearly shows that Hickey was not in opposition to shoot. In a, and I found that, A, from a psychological perspective, quite, quite interesting because the guy that's addressing that theory is an Agent Hill who was actually there. It's this other agent who wasn't even in Dallas. He, right. was in, he was at the next stop right. know, on the forward party. You think, well, why is he answering this when the other guy was literally like right next to the guy? Personally, because I, I don't think Hill, Agent Hill wants to remember or even wants to address that because it's, it's a traumatic experience for him. So let's, let's end on this point then. Mm. Let's imagine that the first two shots come mm. from Oswald's rifle on the sixth floor. Mm. The third and fatal shot comes from Hickey's AR-15 mm. for whatever tragic mm. accidental reason that does go some way to explain a lot of the lost evidence mm. and a lot of the silence from the secret mm. service but let's end on a human note that means that there will have been people who were there on that day who have lived with this mm. knowledge for a long time if there is any good to come out of truth mm. isn't it that those people get some kind of closure. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I, I'm I'm not here to sort of point the finger. And go, oh, you're bad. You know, we're all human. We all of make course. mistakes. Agent Hickey himself. I mean, he don't. I think he'd only been in the Secret Service like four months. Wow. Uh, he's, he's quite new. I mean, he wasn't even supposed to be in that seat, manning the AR-15. He was part of the driving detail. And you think, you know, I, I personally feel very sorry because again, the footage that. I got told, you know, the, the Bronson film, which, oh, the Bronson film shows that it wasn't him. Well, you look at it, and if anything, it shows even more that it was him. Because uh, you can see at the time of the shot, as we mentioned, with the cars all slowing down and the reaction that causes to everybody else, the agents on the running boards basically get slammed against the side of the car, they're half bent over. The shot goes off, and you very clearly see, like, the heads turn up and look straight at Hickey straight away. And you can see that Hickey isn't even looking at JFK. He's mm -hmm. literally trying to look for the shooter, Oswald, um, you know, and he just happens to be holding the rifle in that position. And it goes off, and in the subsequent frames, you see him turn his head. And you think, the realisation of that moment, that you think, Christ, I've just shot the president in the head. Uh, it must have been horrendous for the guy. And to live with it for the rest of his life and, you know, and have to hold it in him. Uh, the same with the, the other agents that were there they clearly knew what had happened mm. um, for whatever reason they've chose to, you know, I, I can understand at the time, you know, you got to remember height of the cold war, you know, the Cuban missile crisis had happened just a year before. You think the last thing you want is to show that, you know, the, the world's superpower to being so incompetent that they shot their own president. Right. Uh, and you can understand why they would cover that up and try and hide it. Me personally, you know, we got to that stage now we're 60 years on, Things have moved on. These, you know, these people have carried that burden. The, I, mean, I think it's just Hill and 
landed. There might be some others that are, are still alive from that time to just, you know, be able to give them that that opportunity for forgiveness, for for peace, to just find, to just let it go, finally, uh, after all these years. One final question, if I may, mm. a yes or no answer. Is there any possibility there was someone on the grassy knoll? <laughs> no. No, I mean you can you can clearly I mean you can clearly see the um, Mary Mormon photograph. There is no one there. There is not a you know everyone goes oh loads of witnesses said there was somebody on the no loads of witnesses said they heard a shot coming from that direction. Not a single witness said I saw someone there except for many years later that you get some nut jobs that say oh yeah I was up there and someone shot from behind me. Okay. Sure you were yeah. Well, I could talk about this all day long. Let's hope that in another 60 years, those people who will no longer be with us do have peace and yeah. closure. Mark Taylor, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Conclusion, a massive thank you then to Mark Taylor for today's episode and thank you for joining me for this Behind the Spine special episode marking the 60th anniversary of the tragic assassination of US President John F. Kennedy. I'm Mark Haywood and you can get in touch directly at info at behindthespine.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. We're also on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine and Instagram as at Behind the Spine Podcast. Check out the show notes for additional information and a full transcript of this episode. You can also sign up to the email newsletter for updates about our exclusive live and in-person residency at the Grouch Show Club in London. These events are not recorded and not repeated and are designed to put you, the audience, both behind the spine and in the room. If you'd like to go on the guest list, please do drop us a line. Series 9 is coming your way in the new year, so stay tuned for that. Goodbye for now, stay safe and keep writing. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.